Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker, picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, you perfectly fecund Felicias, you delightfully dapper Darrens, you sensuously salty Sarahs, you luxuriously lounging Larrys. Welcome to another episode of the Turning of the Bones podcast. I am your host, Colby Marie. I'm so excited to be here. Another episode. Turning of the Bones is going to be turning one very soon. One year. An episode a week. What a journey it's been. Thank you so much to all of my listeners for joining me in this exploration, this experiment, this voyage, setting out to sea, playing with sound, just seeing what happens, seeing what happens out here in the podverse. So I'm just, I'm so delighted. I am really pleased to be sitting down this morning. It is a lovely March 11th here in Denver, Colorado. It is freezing, but the sun is out. There's still snow on the ground, good chunks of ice, nice patches in the sidewalk. You gotta be careful when you're walking. But it's just nice, the sun's up longer, getting those nice evening hues, a little bit slower sunrises in the morning. It just feels nice, it feels like spring's around the corner, and I really can't wait. It has been frigid here. This is March, I don't know, for, for those of you who don't know, who haven't spent a good bit of time in Colorado, March is a really deceptive month here, because you know, I think I've said this before, you think spring's coming and then March comes and you're like, oh, it's spring and it's not. It's just really, it's winter. You're going to get the the final blows. You're going to get these Arctic systems moving down. It was, you know, we had a week of single digits. We've got about three or four days of weather in the teens and the snow's really fun. Love the moisture, but I'm tired of having to get bundled up. I'm exhausted. I just don't see how people who live in the northern, the upper reaches of the northern hemisphere cope with having to wear long johns every day. Just, it's not fun for me. So I'm, uh, I'm really happy that March is coming. Starting to think about the prospects of slipping my, my feet into some flip-flops and strolling around, doing some camping. Really happy to be here today. I know that there is just so much going on in the world with the war in Ukraine, watching 
that happened almost in real time with social media is a new experience for me and has been quite overwhelming. It's been really necessary for me to <clears throat> take some pauses on my internet news consumption because it's just hard to, you know, it's like, it's, it's like a beautiful, challenging thing. It's beautiful to have the opportunity to witness these things and I hope there's some lessons in there for all of us watching firsthand or secondhand via social media some of these videos coming out of the Ukraine and it's also just horrifically exhausting and it just gives me a lot of compassion for you know people going through that people living in war zones conflict areas it's just it's been a lot and then zoom into America we've got all of these anti-gay bills, anti-trans bills coming out of Texas and Florida and Idaho and this abortion ban in Missouri. Just things, things are really intense right now. And so it's, it's nice to be able to take a little break, sit down, acknowledge that, and have a little chat here less than a week before the Ides of March. Uh, Ides of March, most of you may know, comes from at least my first exposure to it was Beware of the Ides of March and Julius Caesar. Uh, it's the 15th of March and uh, the date on which Julius Caesar was assassinated. And it's also, it was, uh, there were lots of festivals and things commemorating it in Roman culture, but uh, it was a day to have your debt settled by. So what an auspicious time to be sitting down and wrapping up this installment of the accountability and forgiveness episodes of Turning of the Bones. I, I was going to take a break and do something a little bit lighter this week, but it didn't feel quite resolved. So I thought I'd sit down and I thought we could continue this discussion, this little chat, and take a look at the, well, I mean, there's so many pieces to this, it's hard to say what's the last piece, but sit down and take a look at something I think we all struggle with and something that's an ongoing, it's just an ongoing healing journey. And it's, I want to talk today about self-forgiveness and self-forgiveness, just like it sounds, is how do we forgive ourselves for things we've done things we believed when we didn't know better ways we acted when we didn't know better times that we've unintentionally or intentionally caused suffering because of our own suffering uh, how do we forgive ourselves when we make really small mistakes at work i mean everybody listening to this podcast can probably think of a time that you went home and perseverated about something you said and I, I think there's like a really important social function to that. And I think it can also get really out of out of balance and we can kind of live with this triumvirate of, of critics. You know, they could be voices from society or teachers or parents that kind of live inside of us and they, you know, get assimilated into our ego structure and then kind of come together to try to keep us from ever making a mistake ever forever and ever and ever and ever and it can be pretty exhausting and 
you know, you probably know what I'm talking about. You lay down to go to bed <clears throat> at night and all of a sudden, you know, it's like your your subconscious shoots up a flare in the form of a thought. It's like, you remember when you said that to Sally by the copy machine? I wonder, you know, she made this weird face. I wonder if you hurt her feelings or... You remember when that person scowled at you and you were walking down the street? That probably means you're a piece of shit <laughs> or something, you know? Like, you, you lay in bed, something comes up, and then you, you have a hard time falling asleep. I've experienced it. And so I want to try and jump into another complex one, this idea of, of self-forgiveness. Self and kind of explore how to forgive yourself, maybe why the inner voices are so critical. Um, especially, you know, there. everyone's probably heard this a million times, you know, we're harder on ourselves than we are on other people. And I think that's really quite true. Uh, there's a really great quote by a psychologist who's written some books, Ellen Hendrickson. And basically she, she says, each of us, we are each our own worst critic. It is necessary that we each have this inner critic because a healthy dose of self-doubt helps us monitor ourselves and our behavior. I'd like to say we doubt ourselves in order to check ourselves. And ultimately that means we get along better with our fellow humans. A total lack of insecurity is actually a sign that things have gone wrong. So the few people who have done nothing have, oh, so the few people who have none can be classified as narcissists or psychopaths, and that's not what we're working towards. So the idea isn't to, you know, completely remove yourself from that critic. It's a really important part of our psyche and the way that our brains have developed to live in families, to live in social groups, to live in society at large, to function at work. You know, there are all these different languages that it almost seems like each context you're in has a different a different language and some amount of self-reflection and self-doubt and inquiry into this is really beneficial, you know, uh, to the community, to cohesive communication. And so I think it, it's one of those things, I think we really, I think this concept of like letting it go, right? Like with forgiveness, we'll just let it go. Or, I, I, you know, I've read lots of definitions of forgiveness and almost everyone said letting it go. And I, I think that's like, that's a really important piece of, of language there because it creates this belief that we can just let things go. And I, I agree, there's some things that it seems like we let go. It's like, you know, somebody bumped into you, you don't think about it for weeks. <clears throat> you know, somebody says something to you, you hold on to it for a lifetime. Uh, but I think it, it's confusing because I don't think it's possible to let things go. I think you work through them. And so inside of having this critic, it's, it's an important psychological function to maintain cohesion inside of community. And I think there's some, there's some fundamental truths here 
that that accepting some of those really helps me reframe the act of self-forgiveness and being with the complexity of it because I think at times it can feel really overwhelming and so I think acknowledging some fundamental truths like that function of our psyche plays an important role in relationships it plays an important role in learning it plays an important role in healing and growth plays an important role in connecting and love and collaboration and politics social justice i mean that aspect really branches out into almost everything we do um and so acknowledging some of these fundamental truths helps me like have a a, a a firm footing when i move into the confusing waters of looking at how or the ways in which I beat myself up harder than other people do. <clears throat> and <laughs> there's, there's a really great quote uh, from Infinite Jest, David Foster Wallace's 1996 novel. Um, it says, You will become way less concerned with what other people think of you when you realize how seldom they do. And I think, to me, it's like that really points to most of the shit that I beat myself up over, other people aren't thinking about, you know. Most of us are pretty self-absorbed in thinking about ourselves, you know. I think that quote really points to that. Most people are preoccupied with survival, the things in their life. Like people, I think very rarely, unless you have like a deep wound or a deep connection or a deep conflict with somebody, most of the time I don't, I don't sit around you know thinking about the mistakes that like 95% of my family have made you know like I just I don't sit there and think like oh that one time my cousin was a little drunk and said this one thing I like it's just not there I'm usually thinking about like oh shit I gotta get this thing packed I gotta walk my dog um you know dealing with my own my own crap you know so just just acknowledging that I think is super important so it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off of it for me. And so there are these, these, you know, these fundamental truths that I think that, you know, looking at forgiveness, it's important to realize that humans are the sum of their experiences. Um, that, you know, like you're... You're not only what happened to you today, you're what happened to you when you were a kid. You were, you know, even further back. Your parents live on in your genes. You know, like, I was in my mother's womb. My mother was in my grandmother's womb. And we are inextricably linked genetically. And so there are things, you know, I think this really gets into the idea of, like, you know, that India really had this right in the philosophers, this idea of karma. Like, we're bound on some level to ourselves, the things that have come before us, and that extends back kind of away, quite a ways. And so, you know, those wounds, you know, intergenerational trauma, those live on through me. Um, the wounds of my lifetime live in my body and in my psyche and in my heart. Uh, 
trauma is just, you know, we've, there's been enough research on trauma now that it's just, it's a baseline. It's like a, a baseline understanding of human experiences. Sometimes things happen and they stick. And for the most part, Western psychology calls that trauma. I really like uh, philosophers in parts of India. It's more of like an imprint, you know, things that are imprinted on your soul or your heart or in your body. There's the great book, The Body Keeps the Score, that talks about this. Um, but experience, some experiences stick, and they could be things that were done to me or things that I did. Um, and there are signs that things are stuck inside of you, like they keep coming up, right? Like they keep coming up when you go to bed or you perseverate about them. Uh, they could repeat themselves as like relationships or lessons that you seem to keep needing to learn over and over and over again. I feel like <laughs> sometimes I feel like God or the goddess or the universe is like basically just a teacher, you know, like they're going to give you quizzes over and over as you heal and grow or throughout life. And some of sometimes you pass them and sometimes you need to revisit them and do a little bit of review work and sometimes... You know, you could have like a relationship paradigm that you're super attracted to that's really unhealthy for you based off of your childhood attachment. And as you heal that, you might get like one final test, you know, like the hottest person ever that mirrors that relationship dynamic comes to you. And it's like the universe is like, OK, are you going to pick this? You know, have you have you got this lesson? That's my experience. Um, so things keep coming to you over and over and over. Um, compulsive thinking, deep rage, like irrational rage and anger, um, you know, when it seems really disproportionate to the situation or the relationship. Um, living in the past and living in the future, you know, I can't believe blank happened in the past. I If, if I get a chance to talk to that person in the future, I'm going to say X, you know, playing out scenarios. Um, I think another important truth to recognize is that, like, we're all capable of great and horrible things. And it really is a spectrum. You know, there's no... There's nobody who's just one thing, just not what humans are. Um, another fundamental truth is, like, I'm responsible for my shit. I, I'm responsible for me. I may have learned this somewhere. My parents may have raised me a certain way. I may have learned this in church. And those may be wounds or beliefs that I need to reorganize or heal. But I'm responsible for that, even if I learned it when I was a child. Because now I'm the one living this life. I'm in charge of me. I'm in charge of my internal state. <clears throat> the world isn't happening to me. I'm in this kind of endless co-creation with the universe. And I've got some autonomy here. And that's really freeing. Like that, that thought to me is really freeing. Like I'm responsible for, for me, period. You know, for a long time I wasn't, right? Like as mammals, we, we need our parents. The kind of mammals we are, we need our parents for a long time. But at a certain point you're like, no, I got me, I'm good. Um, I'm responsible for my things. Um, And I think for the most part, right, like to go back to that first quote, you know, a total lack of, uh, 
A total lack of insecurity is actually a sign that things have gone wrong. So the few people who have none can be classified as narcissists or psychopaths. I think that there, it's important to acknowledge there's a small number of people who seem to not be able to self-reflect. Um, not going to go into neuroscience stuff here. I want to cloud this podcast with my, my nerdiness. But I think that... For the most part, when people know better, they do better. And I know that's been my experience, you know, like everybody listening to this podcast can probably think of a time in your life that you had learned from a mistake or you had a belief and then realized that it wasn't true or that it needed to be modified and you reorganized yourself around new information or feedback from friends or family or someone at work. Um, and then, you know, like, I, I'm remembering a story. So, like, there was, I was working in a high school, and some of my students who, I was a special ed teacher, and some of my students that were, like, on my caseload pretty routinely had a hard time with this one young English teacher. You know, she was fresh out of college, and, like, really was eager to succeed and do well and you know the pressure she was feeling internally was causing her to be really like pretty hard on students who couldn't comply and do the work and get good grades she just couldn't understand like what was causing right these these quote unquote bad kids or whatever at risk teens or teens with special needs to do what they did and it was just like time after time after time I'd hear a story of like Jesus Christ like what why did she kick you out of class like oh my god you've got to be kidding me like that's the adult and you're a, you're a child like what's going on here and I I got really protective of my babies and really frustrated with this um you know for lots of reasons and so at one point I remember you know, I probably bitched to everybody on my team about it. I was just like complaining and spiraling out. And so I went to the vice principal who oversaw the special education department. I was like talking to this person and I was talking to the vice principal and she said, Colby, have you, have you talked to this teacher about this problem? And I was like, no, like, you know, I want, you know, I wanted somebody to go in, like, you know, it was like a child being like, no, I want you to go in and tell my sister that she did something wrong and she needs to never do it again. You know, like, honestly, this had like carried over with me into my 30s where I just wanted <clears throat> somebody to come in and like be a disciplinarian, which is like intellectually the last thing I want for anybody because I don't think that's how we learn or build relationships or change behavior. And I just remember in that moment, I was like, holy shit. I really fucked this up. I have really, really fucked this up. Not only have I not done anything really to help my students, I've created a bunch of like animosity through gossip. I have, you know, probably been really shitty non-verbally to this person, you know, I, I haven't built bridges. I've, I've thrown mud. And I just remember in that moment, like, holy shit, this is absolutely right. 
I don't want to do this. And so from then on, if, if I had an issue with a teacher, I would just go straight to them. There wasn't any set of emails. There wasn't, you know, talking shit with the students. Well, not all the time. I definitely made mistakes after because it's a learning process. It's not an event. But for the most part, I would say I got like a B plus on once I knew better, I did better. And I, I believe that's true for most people. Like most of us strive towards that, I would say. And so like when, you know, like I, I remember at first feeling like pretty called out by that vice principal. I was like, Jesus Christ, she's totally called me on my shit. And I probably, you know, like I don't remember it specifically, but I had a pretty normal defensive reaction because part of my ego structure felt jeopardized by being seen for its bullshit. <laughs> and, you know, like when that happens, when, when somebody's inviting you to do better and it feels hard and you feel those hackles come up, I think, you know, just some basic mindfulness, feeling the earth underneath you, taking some time to reflect, taking some deep breaths, you know, because I could have doubled down and been pissed at the vice principal too, you know, but like luckily there was some grace there and I was able to do a little bit better. Um, and so, yeah, like we all, like there's no way of escaping the fact that we're going to make mistakes. Like Being a human is a, incredibly messy enterprise like no one's going to do it perfectly I was listening to a talk by Thich Nhat Hanh and you know he said even the Buddha was unskillful but the, the thing that was important about the Buddha was that he learned from his mistakes and every great teacher I saw in a high school would learn and grow from the mistakes they made with their students and <clears throat> it's not to say everybody did it but you know we all have different bandwidth for things so I think one of the most important things when it comes to self-forgiveness or I don't want to use hyperbole, just another important thing <laughs> is that I think humility leads to forgiveness. Humility kind of across the board, like the, the the thing that I love that Blind Boy says in almost every one of his episodes, it's kind of his little, like little mantra-ish thing. It's not a mantra, but it's uh, something he repeats to keep his brain in check, like a cognitive behavioral prompt. And it's, I am no better than anyone else, and no one else is better than me. And I think, you know, keeping that in mind, and like really, if, if you don't feel humble, pray for humility, it's like, you can, if you're not religious, beg for it. I mean, do whatever you got to do if it feels far away. Because I know humility is, we're not raised to be humble in America. <clears throat> and I think that granting myself the space to fuck up allow is is by small degree the more i've been able to grant myself the ability to fuck up the more that i can grant other people the grace to mess up and that humility piece i think is is really important for 
how high we can set the bar for ourselves internally. You know, we're all afraid of so many things, so this this perfectionist mindset can kind of take over and really does more harm than good. It's like <laughs> any of my perfectionist thinking, learning how to do anything I've done in my life to avoid conflict has probably stressed me out more than the small conflicts that would have happened along the way. Like, <laughs> that's a whole, I've never, I've never thought that before. That's a hilarious thought experiment. The stress that I caused myself trying to be perfect was probably bigger than the stress I would have experienced messing up incrementally and learning from those lessons. That's fascinating. I don't know. Just random thoughts blowing my own mind. And so we are all unskillful at times. I may be the best person to someone and a villain to another. There's there's no way to be one thing to everybody unless you're being written about in history books. <laughs> and moving forward with, you know, some some level of humility into the process of self-forgiveness or into the process of, you know, forgiveness and reconciliation with other people when somebody has harmed you. I think that the one thing I kept hearing I just hear it over and over in everything I've read or listened to or watched about forgiveness is that that humility leads to empathy. That empathy leads to understanding and understanding leads to forgiveness. And when somebody hurts you or you hurt yourself, right? Like if, if, if I have a belief that isn't true about the world, myself or others, and that has caused me repeated harm, even if I learned it from somebody and that person apologized, I still need to do the work of looking at how that impacted my life in my mind and being a mindful, introspective, self-aware, contemplative human being. You know, it's, it's, I think it's so easy, you know, for us to be like, well, if that didn't happen, then I wouldn't, if I, if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have broken up. Or if that, if I didn't say that, we'd still be together. And it's, you know, this is another one of my favorite teachings from my first teacher. It's the only evidence that something needed to happen was that it did. Like that's all the evidence you need. So the thing happened and forgiving yourself for the incremental harm you caused yourself from a, a misperception or a belief that wasn't totally your responsibility because you got it when you were a child like that's still important work to do to healing and you know you see that inside of your behavior what you did to harm yourself or others came out of a misunderstanding and you can slowly forgive yourself for not knowing what you don't know you know you can't expect somebody to know something they don't know or do something they can't do if i'd learned one thing teaching high school it's that people just don't know what they don't know and that seems really obvious but i think that we're so 
our brains take so many shortcuts that we like to believe that because we know something that other people know it or because we've learned something other people have learned it too and that's just simply not the truth and so there, there's you know self-forgiveness is such a tricky thing to talk about because it's so nebulous and it's just it's hard, it's intangible but we can all remember a time <clears throat> that we caused suffering you know like there's there's lots of reasons there's lots of so yeah yeah why why colby i don't know colby let's go over it colby um so why why forgive yourself why not just move on um i think that for me it's just my internal well-being my my sense of contentment you know my discernment around those lessons that the first quote pointed to you know like being having some amount of self-doubt helps us stay in social groups so like i think forgiving yourself can really lighten your internal pain and suffering um so why do it if you do it, it's easier to forgive other people, which is really nice because holding on to shit sucks. You may need to forgive yourself when apologizing to the person or the people that you hurt isn't an option. You know, like the person could be dead. You could no longer have a relationship. I listened to TED Talk after TED Talk of people who forgave uh, people who were incarcerated, who had done horrible, violent crimes and they had no desire of, you know, fostering that relationship, but they still needed to forgive themselves for holding on to anger and resentment for 10 years. Um, you may need to do this when apologizing is inappropriate. You know, if, if you're an adult who hurts a child who doesn't have the cognitive capacity to understand the complexity of what you did and why you did it, or, you know, isn't... <clears throat> capable of understanding the nuances of the situation because it was an adult it was an adult level offense perpetrated on a child like apologizing to a child for some things is inappropriate you know apologizing apologizing can just be inappropriate at times like it's not always appropriate to go to somebody and be like you remember when I did this because it could stir up shit for them. Like maybe they don't want to relive that experience on a Tuesday just because you feel guilty. Um, you may need to do this when amends and reconciliation has been made with the other person, but you realize some more of your bullshit as you continue to heal. So this is, this is like a really important one I learned when I was uh, working the the fourth step in Alcoholics Anonymous and you know as I was healing and starting to see myself clearly and understanding the source of some of my wounds and why I drank you know I had this partner uh, that I was engaged to and we'd been broken up for probably four years but it was like the more the longer I was sober the more I realized how much bullshit I put her through you know, and like, 
at first it was like the apologies felt good, right? They felt good for me. I was like, get something off my chest. I think they felt good for her. You know, there was an ab ability to like recognize how shitty some of the things were. Uh, there was a opportunity to talk about how we co-created some of those circumstances. There was understanding, which we all love. But like, I kind of just had this like cascade of insights, right? Like, oh, I did this and that, you know, it's like, you get into seeing some of your bullshit and it's like you have an insight waterfall that's just flowing all the time. And so at some point I remember, you know, I had another insight and I, we were talking and I apologized and she had just very graciously said, Colby, you can stop apologizing. And, you know, I, I'm good. You know, I, I see what the work you're doing, you know, I don't want to keep reliving this over and over again. And I just was like, holy shit, you know, like selfish alcoholic, right? Or selfish, um, whatever, like me being selfish. I'm like, oh, I need to do this. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, this is selfish. Me apologizing is actually for me and it's not for the other person at a certain point. I'm getting off on this and I can do the rest of this work by myself or with a therapist. like. We're good here. The rest of it is my thing to do. Um, so you may need to you may need to forgive yourself. I think that's it. I don't understand my last note on that one. Um, there, there are tons of reasons why you can for, need to forgive yourself. Like Jesus, like honking at someone or losing myself for a minute in a car, like. I may, the person may not even heard me complain to them, but I feel like I owe the universe an apology for getting all wound up and saying shitty things. Like there's so many reasons why you might need to forgive yourself because you believe something that held you back. And once you quit believing it, you saw how successful your life could be. And, and reconciling that I think is really important for our psyches. It's really important for our spiritual and emotional growth. And so self-forgiveness is like, the creme de la creme in my experience of of resolving a lot of the pain that a lot of us feel and so we've got empathy we've got understanding we've got seeing other people as people we've got owning our own internal state taking responsibility for our actions and so like, yeah, we can all remember a time that we caused some suffering and then we can like look at why we caused it. And sometimes you might need help for this. A therapist is really helpful learning about different approaches to therapy, whether it's family systems therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy or any of those things can help you understand why you caused it. You know, some level of mindfulness and dedication to self-reflection. Um, and self-forgiveness, it's like, it's, it's, there's, you know, loosely a formula for how to do it. You know, you, you, you know what you did, you name the offense, you, what did I do? Well, you know, when I was drinking, I put my life on pause for five years and I just lived paycheck to paycheck and 12 pack to 12 pack. So I, I hurt myself. I hurt myself financially. I hurt other people. I... Okay, so that gets into the next one. Name the impact. Like, how did this impact my life? How did this, how did this affect myself and others? Uh, you you trace it back. 
You know, you think, what was I feeling? Okay, when I was drinking all the time, I was terrified. Every single day, I went to bed scared, I woke up scared, I spent most of the day having panic attacks, and I can, I can look at what I was feeling, I can look at why I did what I did, you know? I can look at the, the circumstances and I could give myself some empathy at some point. I could really look at, look at that and be like, you know, would you be hard on somebody else who, you know, had a beer when they were scared and didn't know any better, didn't know that there was yoga or meditation or therapy, uh, didn't have the resources to take care of themselves, you know, would you be hard on them? And start to look at myself, I'm like, no, I wouldn't, but I'm beating the crap out of myself for this one. And I think, for me, like, looking at the behavior, the harmful behavior to myself, or the harmful way of thinking, like, what was that trying to protect? You know, is that trying to protect a childhood piece of me? Was that trying to protect me today? Was that trying to protect me from imaginary fears? Was that trying to protect me from the fear of the unknown? Was that trying to protect me from the fear of change? You know, I started this podcast a year ago with those three podcasts about fear because I think it's, you know, one of our most <laughs> forceful motivators. You know, I think fear motivates most of what we do. I think we're fear-based mammals. And I think <clears throat> that's a topic for another podcast. But what what was the harmful thing I was doing trying to protect? Um because the wounds of the past still live in the present. You know, the, the misunderstandings of childhood carry through into adulthood until you kind of go through and sort through that with trusted, safe people. Um, you have to have safe people to do this. You have to have safe friends around. You can't have people who are gaslighting you. Um, people who are questioning your experience as you do this healing process, you know, you're really tender and vulnerable if you're embarking on a, a journey of self-forgiveness and deep, profound humility. If you're trying to cultivate empathy, it's like you're really vulnerable. And having safe people around throughout this process is really important because in my experience of it, you know, you're not statically living, you know, I'm 45 years old today. And if, if I am trying to heal something, I'm not statically 45. Like I've got to go back and experience things from the past. And that can be really disorienting. It can be emotionally exhausting. And so having people you trust around while you're doing this process is really important. Uh, loving people because you know, you don't get to freeze and just heal in a vacuum. Life's going to keep happening. You're going to keep having relationships with your partners, your coworkers, with your family. And so being able to have a safe respite while doing self-forgiveness work is really important because you're, you're going to continue to, I mean, life is just bumping into one another. Shit's going to happen. Um, we're all unskillful from time to time. But in Thich Nhat Hanh said this, are we willing or able to learn from times when we were unskillful? And that's really, I think, the most important question 
for me is that am I willing to look at this? Because it is scary and it does take energy and work and life keeps happening, rent continues to need to be paid. And so am I willing? Is the relationship I'm in or, well, with self-forgiveness, it's like, is the relationship I'm in worth doing this work? The way I look at that is that fundamentally, the one thing I know for certain is the only relationship I'm going to have forever is going to be the one I have with myself. And other relationships can mirror back to me my relationship with myself. Other relationships can be fun and nourishing. Sometimes they can be distracting. Sometimes it can feel like your souls merge. But the fundamental truth is that I... I'm what's seeing out of my eyes. Like, this is it for me. I don't get to see out of your eyes. And so I'm willing, and at some point in my life, it became the thing that I was the most willing to do was to learn from the times that I was unskillful. Because when I was unskillful with myself or how I saw myself, those have been the most painful. You know, the internalized self-hatred that we get from friends, family, society, you know, body shaming, you know, that internalized sense of I'm not good enough or I will die alone if my body doesn't look like blank. That to me, in my experience, those have been the most painful wounds or you're not good enough or you would get love if you did X. You know, we're all worthy of love inherently. And... There was a Thich Nhat Hanh had a really great walk for, walk through for an apology. You know, you're sincere. You're not doing it to get something. There's sincerity in it, humility. You're mindful. You're listening to how you hurt the person or how you hurt yourself. You're determined to do the work. And if you don't have that, you know, you can make this strong aspiration or pray or pray for grace that from now on I will change. I will make mistakes, but I'm committed to changing. And I think that's so important, right? Because I don't know if everybody who listens to this podcast is familiar with the idea of intention setting but I think the word aspiration is really right next door synonymous with it. It's like, you'd be surprised what happens when you set the intention to do something, you know? From a small task, I'm setting the intention to clean this kitchen. Well, you turn around and damn, the kitchen's clean. I'm setting the intention to forgive this person that I'm struggling to forgive. The universe has your back, God has your back. Whatever it is that you believe in, I really believe that setting the aspiration or the intention that you will get the support you need, whether it's from the universe, the deities in your belief system, your friends, your family, your ancestors. I feel like one of the fundamental truths of the universe is that it just wants you to heal. Um... And it's really hard to, you know, it's really hard to forgive. 
sometimes. It's really hard to forgive ourselves. You know, beating ourselves up is a real thing. But kind of to run through this and, and flip the gaze back inwards, you know, I talked about this in the last podcast, is developing compassion and understanding for the person who hurt you and seeing them as a whole person. I think that's sometimes easier to do with other people than it is with ourselves. And remember that people who cause suffering, like people who cause suffering are the first victim of their own suffering. You know, like if somebody hurts you, they're hurting. You know, the saying hurt people hurt people. So like looking like when I cause suffering and being really honest and humble that I'm suffering and that's why I cause suffering. You know, we can look at either ourselves or other people as victims of fear, ignorance, pain, disconnection, isolation, anger. And, you know, we, we see this all the time, like nothing in a capitalistic society fills those holes. You know, power, money, success, you know. We all, to some degree or another, have parents who didn't know how to love us the way we needed to be loved, either because they weren't available or we were children and we weren't able to communicate clearly what that was. They might impose their ideas on us. Society at large could impose its ideas on us. You know, Russia imposing its ideas on Ukraine. Like, there's just an endless... You know... (laughs) (laughs) Not to get too dark, but there's an endless amount of suffering in this world. It's almost like, you know, Eastern philosophy really nailed it. It's almost like suffering is a really, it's like a linchpin or a keystone or a vital stitch in the fabric of reality. Like the wheel of samasara, you know, it's these suffering is going to happen. But do I make my suffering other people's suffering? I really think is the task of all humans is to get 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 in control of your own stuff you know for me that's been a huge huge driving force and i just can't tell you how spacious and light working towards self-forgiveness and using it as a practice you know daily you know where am i beating myself up it allows me to separate what I am or who I am from the mistakes I've made. You know, like we don't get to take any of this with us. You know, I'm separate from my actions. You know, that doesn't get me out of responsibility for their impact, but I am not the sum total of the mistakes I've made. Like human beings are way too complex. Self-forgiveness helps you learn from your actions, behaviors, choices. Find ways to make amends with other people or yourself when it's possible. But I really believe it, you know. It's easier to forgive others when you forgive yourself. And forgiveness is a process that takes time. So that was kind of my take on on the forgiveness bit. 
you know, with some other stuff sprinkled in there. But I just want to run through because maybe this will be helpful for you because these, you know, everybody has a different brain. There are some articles that were kind of like, you know, try to break down self-forgiveness. And one of them on uh, Mindwell talked about the four R's of self-forgiveness, responsibility, remorse, restoration, and renewal. Um, and as a tool, like, you know, take what you will from any of the things that I've said, but first you accept responsibility. You face what you did. You face what you did to yourself. You know, you face, you face really honestly how you talk to yourself when you make a mistake. You know, I think that's a really easy one. I, I have some, it may be generational, I don't know, but like I have some family members who like you can really hear. And I, I, I do it too. I learned this quite young, you know, when you mess up, like just a simple mistake, like spilling a glass of water. Oh, damn it. Oh, Jesus, I'm such a klutz. You know, you immediately go into pathologizing, demonizing what is just a normal mistake for human beings with limbs and arms and, you know, attention spans that get drawn to other things. Like, you're going to knock things over. But, like, face what you've done. How do you talk to yourself? Observe it. Um, do you make excuses? Do you ra rationalize or justify your behavior? Do you rationalize like oh if I didn't have this, this self-loathing I'd never be successful I'd never be a successful artist if I didn't hate myself and maybe that's true maybe you're just like you know I'm, there's a really great story about David Lynch the brilliant director going into seeing a therapist and the first question he asked the therapist was if I talk to you and do this work you know is it possible that I'll lose my imagination and creativity and the therapist said yeah absolutely and he said okay I'll live I'll live with this confusion and pain because I don't want anything to stand in the way of my work and that was a really conscious decision from a meditator but I think you know like I think that story to me just like know what you're doing like maybe you know I heard an interview or a conversation between Nerd and uh, Pharrell Williams and Kanye West, and Pharrell Williams was saying, "Yeah, don't ever, don't ever to Kanye when he was super young. Don't ever think that you're the shit or you got it, because that's when you're gonna quit making good music." And you know, I think for some people that could be like a really driving thing. Looking at Kanye West, it doesn't seem like it served him that well psycho psychologically or inside of his relationship. So we all got to make our own choices. Um, so accept responsibility, face what you've done, look at your shit, look at how you talk to yourself, look at how you talk to others, look at how you think about the world, look at how you think about others, and then express remorse, you know? Like, if you're doing self-forgiveness, you can tell, when I was doing inner child work, it's like I would tell younger versions of myself sorry all the time. Like, oh, Jesus Christ, Colby, I'm sorry I did that to you. That, that was my bad. And it feel like it's really shockingly effective, you know? Or apologize to the other person. You know, guilt, like, guilt is I, I've done something wrong. Shame is I, I, there's something wrong with me. And there's an important, I think it's important to know the difference when you get into expressing remorse because if you just feel like you're a piece of shit, it's, you're, I don't think you're going to move. Like, if, if the shame is so thick, you're, it's really hard to move through to acceptance or forgiveness 
guilt, I think, is a really, it can be a valuable tool for, for how we learn, you know, think about any kid, like siblings, you know, we, we kind of teach some things through guilt, like don't poke your sister in the eye. Like, okay, I was little, I poked my sister in the eye. She's crying. She runs to my mom. It's like, Colby, don't poke your sister in the eye. You know, how would you feel if somebody poked you in the eye? You know, would that feel good? Would that feel good to you if I poked you in the eye right now? And I'd be like, Jesus Christ, no. And all of a sudden, I can start to develop some empathy through feeling bad about what I did, not who I am. Now, if my parent said, oh, you're just a piece of shit poking your sister in the eye again. That's, you know, once once bad, always bad. You know, that that shame. Guilt can be an effective tool for correcting our behaviors or making amends or forgiving. And then you repair the damage and restore trust. You apologize. You look for ways to make it up to yourself or the person you hurt. You know, like, <clears throat> how do I repair the damage of <clears throat> being addicted to pain pills and drinking heavily through my 20s? Well, that's... <laughs> That's been a long journey, right? Like it's taken time, but I've repaired the damage with the people in my life. I've repaired the damage internally and I've restored trust by changing my behaviors, right? When I get stressed out, I go to a yoga class. I don't get a six pack. When I'm feeling anxious or triggered, I don't have a shot of whiskey. I sit down and take some deep breaths. So I've by slow measure restored trust. And that's not to say in the last 15 years, right? Since I, yeah, wait, no. Yeah, it's not to say that I haven't had moments of making mistakes and getting drunk when I was upset or getting drunk because I was scared during the pandemic, but those were like, it's a small incremental process. You're not, like, if I'm holding myself to the standard of perfection, I don't give myself some grace around making mistakes when I'm trying to learn a new behavior so that I'm not hurting myself. Like, we have to just pray for some grace and humility you're going to make mistakes along the way um and restoring trust removes doubt like i don't have any doubt in my mind well no i have some doubts like if i got in a car accident maybe i'd get addicted to pain pills again but i've mostly removed the doubt that i'm going to be in such a dark place that i feel like i need opiates to survive on a day-to-day -day basis psychologically like physically you know, if I, if I get in a horrific accident, something may happen. But for the most part, I've, I, I feel like I've removed the doubt that the person today is capable of making those mistakes. And there was something a therapist of mine said once that was really, really, it just stuck with me. And he said, Colby, the person who's sitting here today is no longer capable of the amount of self-deception that it took for you to do those behaviors. Like the you then was capable of lying to yourself that much. You today is not capable of telling the same lies to yourself. And that was like so powerful for me. It like blew my mind. I was like, holy shit. And it also felt like I had, you know, if I'm, if I, I don't think healing's linear, but I'll use this analogy. Like it felt like I had a foot on, on the ladder there was a rung or like there was solid ground under my feet because doubt had creeped back in about like 
going back into an abusive relationship or something. And I think that making these changes, restoring trust, it gets us out of the mind and gets us into action. You know, it gets us into our body, it gets us doing tangible things that, that change our biology, change our neurology. And then the fourth one, so we have responsibility, remorse, restoration, and renewal. Then you just focus on renewal. You know, you focus on the life or the future that you want to have. You set some goals. You, you know, you understand why you behaved the way you did. You focus on yourself. You focus on the changes you want to make. You focus on making different choices in the future. And sometimes that involves lots of things like changing friend groups or changing jobs or, you know, pausing relationships for a while while they don't feel supportive. But you focus on making the changes so you don't continue to make those mistakes that hurt yourself and others. And I like that little list, you know. I, I don't know if I'll remember it because I'm not very good at those mnemonic devices. Um, and another one from Psychology Today was like, it's like a, well... It was like a six-step process that I'd turn into like an eight-step process, but you could start by defining forgiveness, you know. You, you pray or make the aspiration to acknowledge your humanity and the humanity of others. Uh, you're, you have willingness to look at the circumstances that led you to make poor choices or cause harm. You, you set the aspiration to treat yourself or others with compassion could be spiritual psychological or religious it doesn't matter the origin it's like that's okay like whatever you need however your your brain works the the mind-body relationship will sort that one out take ownership of how you've contributed to your own suffering like the world can hurt you but it's for in my experience of this perfectionist inner critic it's like i i've caused most of myself that pain and that's on me to stop doing uh, acknowledge your feelings, you know, cultivate mindfulness with a therapist, feel your feelings, identify your feelings. Acknowledge the harm you caused, acknowledge the impact, and try to put judgment aside, like pointing fingers or like, I did this because you did that, like, or I only, I only would have been this way if you were different. It's like, at some point, you just have to be like, this is the pile of shit I got to carry through this lifetime. I'm going to take control of it. And for me, that was incredibly freeing because I wasn't subject to the whims of other people quite as frequently. Um, you know, you apologize, you focus on the lessons and the mistakes, you make meaningful changes, and then you practice compassion. And, you know, however, it, I can lay all this out, and it's so nebulous that it's like impossible to have a like how to. And I think it's useful for some people, in my experience as a teacher. In schools, it's like everybody needs things different ways. But like once, you, you know, the most important part is starting. You know, setting the intention or praying for this process. And praying, you know, just for me, like humility is just the key. Like I, this is such a complex experience being in a human body. Like there's no way I can fully understand all of it, other people, their motivations, their interior state I just have to like focus on what I'm in control of which is very little but 
it can be my response to things or how I handle them, and then I move forward. And this can be extremely challenging. You know, we all experience cognitive dissonance. You know, when we do things that are out of alignment with our beliefs or values, you know, that just horrible existential crisis feeling like, why in the fuck did I do that? That That's a real thing, you know, like cognitive dissonance. Like, I just, I mean, the best example I can think of is always cigarettes, you know. I know this is bad for me. It doesn't help my mental health, but here we go. I'm going to light this cigarette and pretend like it's not real. And then after I have the cigarette, I'm going to feel like shit about myself. That's cognitive dissonance. So we all experience that. And it's like, I think we would all do almost anything to avoid that feeling. We will use drugs, alcohol, numb, sex, television. Uh, and I think, you know, so many of us are prone to rumination. You know, you can have childhood trauma, anxiety, depression, PTSD. These are all challenges to forgiveness. We can be afraid of conflict. You know, we can be afraid of external conflict and apologizing or the internal conflict of being like, yeah, for years and years I did things that I wouldn't respect in another person. Jesus. Whew. I mean, that's a tough one to sit with. So like, you know, praying for courage throughout this process. And... You know, another challenge is setting boundaries with people, you know, because there aren't, some people are more invested in holding up their own view of the world than they are in your healing, and it's just, it's challenging to have those people in your life along this journey, you know, that's why it's really important to have trusted people, good therapists, safe friends, safe family, because this is, this is a hard, hard shtick, you know, self-love and self-acceptance and self-forgiveness. It's, I think to have that as your baseline, like that's a pretty big milestone to achieve spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically, and human body. And, you know, studying all these different frameworks around healing and enlightenment, I'd say that's a pretty big benchmark. Like if you get there in this lifetime, way to, way to go. Good job. And, you know, not always there to beat myself up on Monday. I had to work through it. I sat down, took some deep breaths, and just let myself do it and watched myself trying to make some changes around that. And it's ongoing. It's an ongoing process forgiving ourselves. I'll mess up tomorrow. I'll say something. I'll do something. Might have to say sorry. Might have to say sorry to myself. Just an ongoing thing. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast on self-forgiveness, wrapping up this little four-part series on this uh, umbrella topic of accountability and forgiveness. Thank you so much for tuning in. These have been these have been really fun to make in a really beautifully challenging way. So thanks for the opportunity to sit down and have a chat. <clears throat> thanks for listening, tuning in. This is a listener-supported podcast. Turning Up the Bones is for us, by us, DIY, small independent podcast, dependent upon the listeners. I keep trying to grow this. Uh, any support always helps. 
I have a Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones. Go there if you're getting something, you can, you know, donate five, ten bucks a month. Uh, it really helps keep this going. It's good for creators. You can like, share, subscribe, leave a review on Facebook or iTunes. You can tell a friend word of mouth. This podcast is slowly growing, and I'm so excited. Thank you all for being a part of this journey. I'm up to uh, 20 or so regular listeners, which is huge. I set the goal to double this six months ago, and it looks like I might get that gift. Turning of the Bones might get that gift on its birthday here in April, so thank you so much. Uh, had over 80 listeners to last week's podcast, so things are looking up. I appreciate you all. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you for listening. Thank you for trying to figure out how to be a human. Just not a manual for it, and it's really confusing. Love, prayers, peace to all of you. I think that, you know, doing this is just, it's been a healing journey for me, so I want to thank you. It's like my experience when I was working with teenagers. It's like I learned as much from them. And so I've learned so much from being here, having these little chats. Look forward to many, many more. Take care of yourselves. Be well. Turning of the bones. Bye now.